Welcome back to Emerge. So in this episode, I'm speaking with Zach Stein, frequent guest of the show, and this time we're going to be exploring artificial intelligence, and in particular, the novel risk of AI tutors, or I should say the novel risk and potential salvation of AI tutors if they're designed correctly. This is a risk vector in the meta crisis that I had really not considered before I talked to Zach about it, and it's very interesting. You know, Zach is an educational philosopher, so he can see these potentials better than perhaps anybody in the world. And with this whole topic of AI, it's something that I'll be exploring on the show from a number of directions as I myself try to make sense of the topic. I think Zach is one of the most comprehensive and holistic thinkers about just about every topic. And so uh, (laughs) I really appreciate his perspective a lot. Um, And I won't say that I enjoyed this conversation. I think it, it kind of, as I say at the end, added another brick of anxiety into my body mind regarding the uncertainty and rapidly transforming transformation that we're seeing play out in the world. And uh, so, you know, be easy with this one. Uh, If you're already feeling anxious about AI, you may not want to break open a whole new risk vector. Um, But perhaps like me, you're a glutton for punishment and want to dive in. And if you do, well, good luck. I hope you have friends to talk to and a uh, practice that can ground you. Quick update about the show more generally. I will be posting episodes again uh, sporadically, you know, probably one or two a month, I'm guessing. I have three or four in a queue now that I'll be releasing soon. And I will also be sharing personal updates, deeper cuts, and whatever else I want to share that I don't feel is appropriate for the public to hear. I'll be sharing that on my Patreon page. And so if you want to hear about, you know, why haven't I posted an episode since August? You know, what's been going on in my life? Uh, You can, I I will be alongside this episode with Zach releasing a 30-minute kind of solo episode, updating you, sharing what it's been like, and inviting you into a deeper connection if if you're interested in that. Um, You know, I've been, one of the things I've been doing is really, really diving in deeply to Steve March's work with the Aletheia coaching. And that's something that I'll be also exploring in the Patreon community. Uh, So if you want to connect around that, uh, perhaps do some demo coaching, because I'm trying to get as much practice as I possibly can. go ahead and and sign up for the Patreon community. Uh, If you are without resource, but you still want to hear about what it's been like for me, for whatever reason, uh, feel free to to reach out and I will just send you the audio. You can DM me on Twitter, I'm at dthorson, or you can email me at d. T-H-O-R-S-O-N at gmail.com. That's dthorson at gmail.com. The last thing I want to mention is I want to um, hawk an upcoming retreat that we're doing at the Monastic Academy. That retreat is the uh, famous, well, not really, but but the the, the reasonably well-known and I hope someday to be more famous anti-fragile heart retreat. The anti-fragile heart retreat is 
one of my favorite things that we do at the Monastic Academy. It is a week of just really pulling out all the stops for deploying a robust ecology of practices. Uh, we do circling, we do emotional healing, we do meditation, we do ethical inquiry, we do movement practices, um, and it and we weave it all together with frameworks that are really interesting and really helpful. People come and experience just profound transformations during that time in, in just about every case. So if you're looking to break through some kind of stuckness or you're looking to make a big change in your life or perhaps just learn how to feel your feelings deeply and heal old wounds, this is a week that is made for you. And it is a great opportunity and we still have spots left. I'll, I'll include a link in the show description if you'd like to sign up and join us and it'd be great to see you. Okay, that's it for now. Enjoy this episode of the Emerge Podcast with Zach Stein. Um, you know, compared to previous conversations we've had, I feel like um, with regards to AI, much more like a babe in the woods. You know, yeah. generally we've covered Me topics too. that I feel like, <laughs> right. you know, some degree of familiarity with like text or, you know, I have a history of practice that I think right. lets me engage in a way where I feel confident in terms of where I'm directing the conversation right. and all that kind of thing. But with AI, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I think like many people right now, I'm like trying to learn right. and orient to this new world that feels like it's just coming real quick, right. you know, and, and <clears throat> even at Maple, you know, we took AI quite seriously. Um, for a long time. For a long time. Right. And yet, it really does feel like something has changed yes. in the cultural atmosphere and, and right. in the in the kind of you know newosphere. Really, like it seems like I have to now reckon in a new way with the reality right. of this, and it seems like that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and you know, last time we were together, we talked about a certain dimension of AI, and I thought um, I'm going to be covering AI a lot. I think this kind of season in my podcast, um, and so I was hoping that you know we can get a little bit of your just kind of your take and mm -hmm. sense of this moment and, right. and, and the risk yeah. and then also the particular dimensions regarding education that we talked about last time. Absolutely. No, there's a lot there. There's yeah. a lot there. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's really chat GPT. I think that has brought to culture a sense of like, Oh, this, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's visible and it's consumer facing and it's very interesting, but for a long time, machine learning has been affecting our experience on the back end of the major websites that we engage with, like Facebook and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram mm -hmm. and Amazon <clears throat> and Google all essentially use machine intelligence, machine learning on the back end, uh, to to engage your experience, to get you to buy a book or to get you to watch a video and to do other yeah. things. Um, so that sense of, for the first time, the power of these things becoming visible with a consumer facing modality, as opposed mm. to what faces the consumer being just a video and not realizing that there's this huge machine mm. intelligence kind of arrayed against your attention. <laughs> mm. Uh, so chat DBT, I thought, brought, I think bring to the surface, uh, the, actual advances that have been made in a very short amount of time. And yeah. then of course the game playing AIs, like the chess one and the go one 
I've been dominating for a very long time. Yeah. And, uh, but this, the GPT is so much more general purpose and right. also it's talking to you. Right. But, it, and so that's what I think is, it's epistemologically more confusing uh, because it's, hmm. Facebook's not talking to you. Your friend is talking to you on Facebook or this dude's talking to you on a YouTube video that was put in front of you by an AI. Right. But it's still a person talking to you. But with these, it's the AI talking to you as opposed to the AI curating your experience and your experience being provided by other actual humans, right? So this is the creation of synthetic media, text, image, eventually mm. video, mm. Uh, in ways that are almost indistinguishable and ostensibly basically effectively indistinguishable from yes. a human produced piece of synthetic media, like a piece of writing or a video or something. Um, so that is really new and very disorienting. Um, so that's, that is occurring. But again, it's important not to see chat GPT. It's the most fascinating thing, but it's not like the, you know, the effect it's having on biology, the effect it's having on, uh, warfare, the effect, like, like there's so many domains that's being applied in, in AI, all, all, AI yeah. all at the yeah. same time. So there's kind of a convergence of attention now realizing, yeah. uh, that it's happening. Right. Um, and so there's so many places to go. So you might have to direct me, but, yeah. but the risks are super various. Um, right. and so that, and again, I'm not an AI risk expert, but I do work closely with people who are deeply engaged in that field, like Schmachtenberger and Tristan Harris and, uh, and a few other people. So I've been in that discussion, but I'm not an expert. I'm a psychologist and mostly I've worried about AI tutoring system and the effect of AI on education, but I'm also aware of the broader risks yeah. that are involved with it. Um, well, I think, I think part of it for me is like, um, you know, I, I was listening to some of Sam Harris's conversations about AI risk and been, like I said, trying to kind of get a lay of the land a little bit and a lot of the discourse around risks is having to do with AGI, artificial general intelligence, and the possibility of creating a kind of intelligence that's self-iteratively self-improving, mm -hmm. right? Such that it kind of <clears throat> escalates into this um, almost like super powerful alien intelligence that may not mm -hmm. be aligned with human interests, which is a fascinating, you know, mm -hmm. question and, and seems like a real risk. And 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 from from you in particular, I think I've learned that. If, even if we leave that aside, mm -hmm. that there are very real, very imminent risks associated with this technology that, you know, in the, both in the world of education, but then also in the world of propaganda and like mm -hmm. information ecology. And so yeah, maybe if you could sort of just open up that. Yeah. So there's, so the first scenario, which is mostly associated with AI risk and people like Eliezer Yudkowsky, right. Yeah. And, um, Nick Bostrom, right, is the idea that if you can create a general intelligence that's better at humans at everything, then it will be better at humans at making AI. Mm -hmm. So it will start to make better AI than humans could ever make, and those AIs will start to make better AIs. And right. so you get what's called an intelligence explosion, which is basically a turning point in the relationship between human intelligence and machine intelligence, where we are in a matter of hours, potentially. <laughs> We don't know how fast it goes, but we would be outgunned deeply. And then you get this vision of an AI singleton emerging, which is a basically a single generalized artificial intelligence that uh, basically 
no matter what instructions we originally gave it. Mm -hmm. Implied in those instructions is get more compute power. Mm -hmm. Get more compute power means search for computronium. Computronium is a term made up by Nick Bostrom, which mm -hmm. means any piece of material that can be made into a facet of a computational infrastructure, which includes all the atoms in your body. So there's like this weird super sci-fi catastrophic risk of the intelligence explosion leading to an AI singleton, leading to it seeking to turn the entire known universe, including the atoms in your body, into computronium to maximize its computational power. So that's what right. the guys are most freaked out about. And that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not like there are truly catastrophic risks right. that have to do with the birth of an artificial intelligence that's completely unaligned. And so this is true, but yes. uh, there's a whole bunch of what could be called catastrophic risks uh, that don't require the emergence of that kind of intelligence explosion. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a view where basically, uh, so the AI alignment problem is the, is the core of that prior problem. Because if we could get a super intelligence that actually maximized our humanity, right. we just solved all the existential risks at once right. with the super intelligence. So right. that's key to get. Like right. some people believe we have to pursue the super intelligence in order to stop existential risk because yes. it's the only thing that could resolve them. Yeah. Right. So if we align it with our values per se, yeah. then this thing could be helpful. But the problem is we have no idea how to align an AI with human values, right? Right. What's interesting is that we already have autopoetic, self-reinforcing, basically intelligent systems that we can't control, like mm. most of the organizations that mm. exist in our extractive mm. finance-based economy, yeah, right? right. Uh, so, and this is an argument I'm taking from Daniel Schmachtenberg, who expressed it to me the other day, you know, that basically if you have an industry that's an extractive industry, like a mining industry that gets rare earth minerals that make sure it's phone, right? right? Uh, we want to control it. We want to stop it, but it already has an interest in just maintaining itself. Its mm -hmm. values are basically different than the values of all of humanity. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Most of each individual capitalist enterprise or any bureaucratic system, yeah. and this is Nicholas Luhmann's dynamical system theory of society, our basic bureaucratic structures seek to keep themselves alive. They seek to perpetuate themselves irrespective of if they're aligned with the broader needs of humanity, right? So we already have an alignment problem with seemingly cybernetic intelligences that continue right. to just do stuff. Um, so now throw not a general artificial intelligence, but just a lot of machine intelligence with compute power into that thing that's already running mm -hmm. off wild overriding human interest in the mm -hmm. extraction and seeking of profit. Mm -hmm. Then you just basically added an accelerant to all of the basic underlying generator functions of X risk. Right. And I think part, part of it actually is like, um, you know, they talk about like the paperclip maximizer. Mm -hmm. And I, I think something recently not recently, but you know, something clicked for me when I understood that, in fact, we're already correct. That's paperclip maximizing. This and it's is, just that this is gonna. This is the argument. You know, this is the argument. Put that on nitro. Yeah. So the know. idea that like uh, it will make all the existing industries better at what they do. Yeah, and they, we're talking <laughs> about that with ChatGPT. Is like, look at the productivity gains. Right. And that's like productivity hailed. in doing what? Right. So in, exactly. unless we align most if not all of the basic organizations and infrastructures of our civilization with human value 
Right. The alignment problem is not just with machine intelligence. Yeah, we just <laughs> kicked, we kicked, we kicked it down the can to machine intelligence. We really have a human alignment. There's a yeah. There's a hum, <laughs> there's a problem of aligning human creations with human value, and yes. when they're very complex, self-perpetuating. Yes cybernetically intelligent, which means they have feedback loops and improve themselves yeah. uh, like a supply chain would. Uh, so then you add AI to that and then you just mm. made mm. that thing way better at doing what it's already doing, mm. uh, which could be a huge problem depending on what it's doing. Right. <laughs> right. So that's a major risk factor. It's not a scary sci-fi X risk. It's just a, we just created hyper-capitalism and we just created uh, forms of unstoppable like basically accelerating the speed and intensity of things that are already very fast and intense so trading law yeah. uh, just-in-time supply chains right. all of that stuff uh, research um, so then even below artificial general intelligence if you anything, and this is again from Schmachtenberger, <clears throat> um, we're in a situation now where we have dual use technologies, which means mm. uh, you created it for civilian purposes. Totally, you want it to be used for research in pharmaceutical company, but it's it's not like a nuclear weapon that you keep behind a bunch of fences and mm. behind machine. It's just out there; it can mm. easily be jailbroken or stolen. Uh, and now you just had something that could be weaponized. Mm -hmm. easily dual use. Um, so that notion that anything that can be made to radically enhance this thing, like a supply chain or biological research, uh, could be made to break that thing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, so you think you're making it for good, but it can easily be flipped for bad. Um, uh, which is different than a lot of the advanced technologies we've seen, which mm. aren't easily weaponized or if they're weapons, mm. they're not put out for civilian use. Mm. And this is just because of the kind of fluid nature of, because of the generalized nature of yeah. it. Right. Because of the generalized nature of it and its applications to domain like biotech and infotech, right. uh, where there's a lot of benefit to draw from them if they can be only used for those purposes. But the very same thing that can be used to create that cure can be used to create this totally. bioweapon. Yeah, like right? the, the uh, alpha fold, the, the, the protein. Discovery right, engine, exactly. you know, around the same time as that discovery, that, that that use was also somebody who just asked one of these AI systems to find novel poisons. Do you remember? Right. That? Yeah. yeah. And so that, it so was that's, excellent at that. Right. So that's the that's the difficulty is that uh, it's hard to just say let's go only pursue the positive uses because it, they're so it's so hard to stop their repurposing. Um, and uh, so that's another important risk. Below the scary sci-fi risk is just the risk that we speed up the already fast dynamics of ins institutions and practices that are already unaligned, mm. uh, you know, and that we uh, have this other factor I just mentioned. Um, mm. So, so yeah. So that there's a bunch, and then there's more there. There's more specific scenarios, right? Um, mm. uh, so, yeah, yeah, and so and and this is essentially these risks are already it's already here. happening. They're already here. Yeah, basically. this is They're kind of working here. itself out yeah. in real time exactly. as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, corporations are figuring out how to integrate these services into their precisely, yeah, whatever it is that they yeah. do. And a lot of it's already there. Like I said, the social media platforms and other internet-based things are already using very advanced machine intelligence. Um, right. 
and supply, <coughs> excuse me, supply chain optimization and all that stuff has been happening for a while. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's true. But like I said, a lot of that was behind the scenes and now we're starting to have these things that we interact with like chat GPT, mm-hmm. which is going to affect, uh, which, which is going to, again, it's, epi- it's epistemologically confusing for the average person. Um, yeah, maybe let's, let's maybe talk a little bit about that. Cause I think I'm feeling that like I, yeah. when I, when I, I've been feeling since I got out of my retreat, like just a lot of anxiety, frankly, as I see all this stuff emerging in a way that, yeah, does kind of, at least it seems to me, force me to reckon with certain realities or certain emerging technologies mm-hmm. that I, I hear you in putting them in a kind of, uh, yeah, you know, they've already been happening. They've already been right. present in our world, but now they're in my face in a way that was well, talking to you. It's talking to me, and it's it's solving problems that I would have had to work a lot harder to solve. And um, in so doing, it feels kind of weirdly threatening, almost, to my identity and my like <laughs> productivity as a member of the workforce. Like I tweeted recently that um, you know it'd be a lot. I bet it'd be a lot more okay to feel this looming sense of obsolescence if we weren't in a market economy right but we are and there's this kind of yeah very confusing anxiety producing kind of vibe to it yeah yeah Yeah. totally and again this is where the i believe the the ai tutoring systems which will begin as ai personal assistants uh, which is very much similar to what chat gpt is already i am using it for that right exactly so uh, it's a very fundamentally different way of relating to a technology, hmm. uh, and is, I believe the, what's the right kind of the sharpest end of the stick in the kind of AI proximity issue, which is to say hmm. it's right up next to you. So Facebook's right up next to you. You're the content you see is organized by an AI, but the AI is not communicating with you, ostensibly communicating with you, right? This thing is, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so that creates an uncanny experience, which has to be grappled with. Um, and when that thing begins to act in your interest, which is what a personal assistant would do, so it wouldn't just answer prompts; it would anticipate prompts, right? Mm. It would it just know kind of what you're thinking based on tracking all mm. of your all of your behavior potentially Mm. right uh so so yeah so there's kind of many layers to it but the most essential thing to think about is the unstoppable theory of mind that drives the average psyche which is to say Mm. we anthropomorphize our cars like we anthropomorphize Mm like insects and other stuff right Mm. um and so we can't not perceive things as quasi humanoid Mm. already like Mm -hmm. so even though the the ai technically isn't having a conversation with you in the way we normally understand conversation just two humans talking right uh it sure as hell is hard to not perceive it that way Right. Um, and so the idea that the Turing test is hard to pass, the Turing test it kind of confused us for a very long time about what a general artificial intelligence would be. 
um, in fact, we are predisposed to mm. approach things as if human. So it's kind of easy to pass the Turing test. Some of the mm. very first AI interfaces back in mm. the 70s and 80s, like one of them was mm. programmed to be a Rogerian therapist, right? Carl mm -hmm. Rogers. So it meant to just mm. ask open-ended prompted mm -hmm. questions regardless of what you type back and the first person to ever use it just asked someone to leave the room can you leave the room while talking to this because it felt like it was having an intimate no. conversation this is right. very crude technology and it didn't right. technically pass a turing test but the point is that we are yeah as you know to my metapsychology we're always projecting <clears throat> there's always this dynamic of yeah. blurring subject and object in the perceptual mm -hmm. and intersubjective field mm. Mm -hmm. So that means, again, that we are prone to perceive these things as humanoid, um, which is not the case with the Facebook algorithm that's putting this video in front of you instead of that video because it knows your preference for, for this video. Right. It is different because you're talk, asking any questions, talking, oh, yeah. asking more questions. But... It's super easy to project agency on ChatGPT. Right. I, I, when I, I, I now, when I talk about it, I, like I'm you know, with my partner and I'm like, oh, let's ask chat gpt right you know <laughs> let's ask it right and that's <laughs> the thing very much kind yeah. of presupposing it's, that like, I'm, an, it's functioning know? like an oracle yeah it's functioning like an oracle and that and that is kind of inevitable but also hugely problematic psychologically uh. and culturally and uh. so this is where the ai tutoring system huh. type of risks come in okay um huh. and uh so again it's <clears throat> um Kind of take it step by step. So the the first thing to note is these real time creation of synthetic media through AI uh, can be used to create a completely customized experience of the world for you. So mm -hmm. it's like, in, and so you just have to get the how crazy it's about to get. So instead of there being a single movie that's made, there's a movie that's themed this way that's made for you. So like instead of releasing Avatar, you'd release Avatar, but you'd release it as a very complex synthetic media object that would be customized to you, given your reactions to prior movies and other things you've seen and preferences you've set and stuff like that. Like that's where we're approaching a point where instantaneous creation of very high quality synthetic media. And so, mm. And then we're moving out of a situation where the screen is the main modality of interfacing with the digital. Mm. So it's going to be augmented reality, typically glasses or contact lenses. Mm. Uh, so the like watching the screen, not watching the screen, putting it down, walking away from it disappears a little bit. And you are in an augmented reality environment for the majority of your day, which is very different than looking at your phone. Uh, or computer screen. How, why is it so? Why is it so significantly different? Uh, so there's a couple. There's a couple ways it's significant. Yeah. Um, it's significant uh, in terms of the temporal duration of exposure mm. and the risk. Like it can't be always. So like, on. if you think about like in the Marshall McLuhan way, the the evolution of these things. It used to be like the only time you saw like a telegraph or a telephone was in like the town center. Right. And then the only time you saw a movie was like, you had to go to the, the movies, movie yeah. but they, everything got 
more proximate. Closer Everything closer. got yeah. closer, but there was only so close the TV could get. It was very easy to get away from TVs, right? Actually, right. Uh, and you rarely would just watch it all day unless you were in some strange situation, like a housewife that was very depressed, uh, which just yeah. happened all the time. And right. then there's a feedback loop there. But the point is that, like, mostly you wouldn't watch. You'd watch your thing, and then you'd step away from it. It wasn't constantly delivering what you what you wanted to see. <laughs> so it was not as proximate. And then the phone as mm. very much. I mean, many adolescents basically are on it all the time, like 17 hours of the day or something ridiculous like that. But it's still the case that you can put it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you do have to look up from it to, and this is a, the other thing, the gesture of the use, you have to look up from the phone to see the world, to eat, to eat, you have to look <laughs> yeah. up from the phone to right. eat, right. but you also like the phone tells you something about the world and then you have to look up and see it, that it's in the world. Whereas the glasses, you're already looking at the world and it's annotating the world that you're perceiving. Uh. Uh, and so your head is not looking down which is a gesture similar to a book or something Hmm. and a gesture of like going inside and Hmm. it's a gesture of looking up and out. Right. And so that's, it's much more of a total capture Hmm. of the organism by the digital Hmm. and it's capturing your entire perceptual field. Um, So you think about that and then you couple that to the instantaneous synthetic media and then you can have in your visual field, a very convincing hologram basically constantly accompanying you as like, you know, the Rousseauian, Emile-like aristocratic tutor. Mm. Right? Mm. Um, mm. And many, many people are excited about this possibility. And I might bet that I paint it clear enough. So yeah. you've got your glasses on yeah, and you load the intelligent tutoring system thing. And then you're looking out at the sky or whatever. And then next to you in your visual field appears this character. Uh, who, and, and, uh, who's perfectly rendered to be maximally persuasive and convincing to you. And so this is where it gets another layer. So you've got instantaneous synthetic media, you've got augmented reality, and then you've got this possibility for what I've been calling like, um, uh, inexorably persuasive, right? Mm. That it's inexorably persuasive, Mm. um, that it is inevitably convincing. Um, inevitably. Inevitably convincing, which means like it knows you so well. It knows everything about you. And that's the other thing to get about this and another layer to it is the psychometric back end uh, and the multimodal sensory input that the thing is gathering on you and your behavior. Because so we've left the screen behind and the phone behind, but we've also left the idea that the digital is located in your computer behind. It's in everything in your house. It knows the temperature that you set your thermostat at. It knows what's in your refrigerator, Mm. right? Mm. Um, It knows the appliances you have and don't have. It knows where you drove. It knows what was on your credit card. It knows everything in your email, everything you've ever searched. It's listening to your conversations you're having with people. And and you probably want it. And you want it to because it's maximizing your benefit to you ostensibly. It's saying I'm acting in your interest as a personal assistant slash tutor. You set these parameters and I get you what you want. Um, and again, I'm, I'm speaking to this and it's not a risk because this is what, this is how people, this is the default direction that we're going. Yeah. Um, cause yeah. it's kind of like a video game. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> 
And so I think this direction is a terrible direction to go. I believe it's catastrophic. And it's interesting, right? Because I can see why people would give their lives to building this, right? Because, mm -hmm. it, you know, there, in, in studies of education, as I'm sure you know, tutoring is unreasonably effective as a method yeah. of right. education. Yeah. So the idea that everybody could have a personal tutor, I mean, I even, you know, I imagine having, quote, somebody nearby right. who could just answer questions as I'm in nature about what is this flower? Like, tell me more about it. Something. You know, what, yeah. that sounds yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, so that is incredible. And there is actually a way to do this. Mm. And so it's worth saying, like, I've, I've thought a lot about this. I've done some work with this guy, Nick Marks, <clears throat> uh, who's trying to build something like this. And so there is a way to build a distributed planetary tutoring system. Um, mm. And so we can get to that. Mm. But that's not the default path. And in that scenario, to mm. kind of jump to the end, in that scenario, you'd have the glasses on. The glasses would be optimized to preserve your attention. Uh, and when you got to the flower, you would engage a domain-specific intelligence for that flower. Mm. You wouldn't have somebody telling you about the flower, who, and that same person tells you about everything. Mm. The flower tells you about its flower, and it aggregates all of the human knowledge about that mm. flower and actually can give you assignments like, hey, I'm an endangered flower. You should tell scientists that you saw me. So this would be the good. This would be the good. The good, the benevolent. It's very yeah. complex and very different from the version where you have a single aristocratic tutor that basically obsoletes any teacher you could have, and potentially obsoletes any parent you could have, and potentially obsoletes any friend you could have. So this is one of the main risks with the version I just laid out: is that it's maximally charismatic, it's inexorably persuasive. Mm. There's no person quote unquote, you'd rather be having a conversation with because you benefit so much from this person who knows more about you than any person you could ever meet knows about you. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the one where you make it maximally humanoid and maximally like an oracle and single teacher is one of the worst directions we can go. And I can mm. get into this. Um, uh, so one of the design parameters is that this thing should not in be humanoid. And it should mm. not seek to obsolete human relationship. It should actually seek to preserve and curate and bring mm. together and deepen the educational benefits of actual human mm. relationship. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so, so there's a series of things that have to be thought about when you're thinking about this. But you look at your question. Yeah, I'm kind of just taking it in, right? Like, because uh, I'm imagining when you say this is the default path that. In terms of the, the kind of logic of how we tend to construct digital surfaces in terms of attention capture. So you're, you're hitting the first risk. Okay. The first, so there are several risks. There, there's like a huge existential risk, which we can get right. to, but there are lower level risks. And, um, may, and maybe before we kind of just paint, like uh, fill out the space, I think it's worth, um, you know, how, how far away is people might be listening with tomorrow. varying degrees. Tomorrow. Like that close, because so we, we don't have we these are, AR. But the tech, that technology is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Like that is the main, one of the main things that's happening in the hardware space is getting away from the screen and into the augmented reality, and then the synthetic media we're already seeing. Like it's totally close. Yeah. Um, and so people are like building these things, knowing that the technology is coming. They're building the <clears throat> the, the the software and the kind of yeah yeah. So there's already 
in a- application in complex industries and specifically machine industries and other things where they've replaced on the job training human to human with VR enabled where so they imagine you go up to a complex machine mm. and there's a dude standing next like an actual human standing next to you pointing to the machine and teaching you about the machine or mm. <laughs> you put on one of these right now it's a big ugly thing because mm-hmm. it's too expensive to do with glasses but again we're talking months to years and the glasses will become very popular and depending what the app is on them that makes them desirable from a consumer standpoint the rapidity of adoption could be very great mm. so gpt3 got used faster right. than any other yes. thing so if you couple the augmented reality to some advanced ai yes even just a game right. you could have massive uptake of the hardware of the augmented reality glasses but anyway in these machine industries then you just put the glasses on but now or the vr headset on that becomes ar with the camera and then you look at the machine and it's literally annotating the machine in real time Mm. teaching how to do things mm. right so mm. there's that's already occurring mm. um, in certain industries where it's just the risk of you not knowing how to fix that thing right now is too great so right. even right. if we've taught you we want you to be able to put those things on and look right. at it and know what, the, know what you're doing right. um, so even that instance there even if just that technology changes the nature of thinking about the skills you need to have Do I need to know how to change a tire and bring that tire knowledge with me everywhere I go? Or can I just bring these glasses? And it will tell me. And then I look at the flat tire and I put the glasses on and it says, this is the thing. And this is the thing. And you turn the thing and it just walks me through changing a tire. Um, Better than a YouTube video could possibly do. Right. right? And in a way that I can understand because it knows the language I prefer and the skills I have. It even knows probably my physical strength and my blood pressure and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll note here, I think we can just keep going, but I'll note that, like, and just in case the listener is also having this experience, that my mind is kind of, like, stretching in a way to comprehend the vision of the future that's actually quite imminent, potentially. Yep. Like, <clears throat> yeah, and so just that kind of future shock or that kind of just, like, bewilderment, I think, is something that... Yeah, uh, I notice a lot when when entering yeah. into conversations about this topic. Yeah. Uh. And again, and it's important to get the difference between, you know, the like car based or tire based domain specific relationship to that tire uh, and tires like it, uh, as opposed to the dude that I have a relationship that's an AI that tells me everything and teaches me about tires as well. And I tell them everything. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's really where the main risks, the main risk has to do with the obsoleting of human-to-human socialization with AI. So that's, that's the main thing that I'm worried about as an educator. Um, and <clears throat> it lays the groundwork for other things, but it alone is very complex risk. So mm. imagine you create this thing, and it's, an, it's actually amazing, uh, and it works so well that we have no need for investing a lot of time in human socialization anymore. Um, so it begins as an assistant, it becomes a tutor. When you work with young kids, this thing is a teacher and a parent, right? So the totalized AI-enabled socialization technology. And so, so this is the catastrophic risk, which is that you have, could be existential depending on your definition, you have a generation that for the first time is in history is raised by machines and not raised by humans. Mm. 
So that, and again, this is one of those sci-fi scenarios, but it's actually not crazy if you know the way phones are already affecting adolescents. Totally. I mean, the, the, totally. I mean, some right. parents who are perhaps a little bit less thoughtful about these issues let their kids essentially be, I mean, it's almost like they're being babysat by right. their device. So this would just be off the charts. And yeah. so then, so that, be, that, so it means two things. One is that, uh, one is that if you define the human as an organism like our organism that's raised by other humans, mm. mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, then it means this thing wouldn't be human. The, the, the being like us biologically that is raised primarily by machines or completely by machines would look back at us who were not raised by machines and ask the machine, Hey, what's that? And the machine would say, that's one of the beings like you that was not raised by me different. You're different. Mm. Uh, and the machine would be right. Yes. <laughs> so this is a speciation event similar to something that could happen with radical genetic engineering, where we actually, we create a speciation event by too rapid advance of technology. Yeah. Um, so all of a yeah. sudden there are beings who come after us who are like us, but who are not us. Right. And so technically this is an existential risk because it's the death of our humanity. Um, uh, so that's my main concern. Mm. And, it, and uh, it would be not like nuclear bombs dropping and stuff because people would be walking around. <laughs> uh, but we would have just changed into a new species yeah. by virtue of making our predominant modality of socialization be human machine as opposed to human human. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then short of that, there are other risks. So even if you can make it so that it's not maximally seductive and obsoleting all human relationship, it's still potentially maximally persuasive when it wants to be. Mm. Uh, and so it could really be the perfectly encapsulating propaganda machine. So mm -hmm. like, yeah. uh, given the way digital propaganda and computational propaganda has worked with just AI curated mm. kind of AI enabled social media and stuff like that, the idea of instantly created synthetic media it's not a propaganda video made for people like you. It is a propaganda video made for, for you. Right. right. Uh, so it could be radically anti-educational. So like, uh, so again, so there's the design parameter. Right. There's the design parameter. It can't be humanoid. There's also the design parameter of it. It, it, it has to be somehow given to everybody. It can't be made by mm. a centralized epistemological authority, mm. especially not a nation state. So mm. there's a very complex problem of assuring fidelity and quality of knowledge and having it created in an open sourced way mm. uh, and having it be understood as a commons like mm. shared uh, educational commons like mm. good. Mm. Uh, so that you could, through its use, assure the non-propaganda right. uh, relationship to you. And yeah. so, so there's several other layers too. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and it seems like, um, for, for folks who are listening and, you know, in previous conversations, we've talked about education because you are an educational philosopher and, and education is being the human making exactly. function of a society. And so, you know, if we consider what you said in that kind of theoretical context of what education is, 
you know, I think I'm, maybe I just want to, like, and it's landing in me like that. Like, yeah. I, there's a kind of... As a philosopher of education, I see education as one of the most basic features of what it means to be human. Yeah. And how social systems work. So education is both the autopoetic function of the social system. It's right. how the social system creates the personalities and skills to keep, allow, it, running. To keep yeah. it going. And it, <clears throat> but it's also the human making function at the level of individual socialization. Mm. The, so Thomasello's work from the Max Planck Institute, the joint attentional situation mm. that we engage in with our young is so fundamentally different than the joint attentional situations or lack thereof, basically, yes. with other mammals and let alone other creatures. Right? Mm. So, and the joint attentional situation with the young is always me and you talking about this <laughs> in a way that gets you up to speed with the rest of us so that you can take over when I die, kid. So it's mm. always intergenerational transmission mm. is the focus of the joint attentional situation, mm. which means one of the defining features of being human is the educational relationship. Mm. We're in the womb longer, we're vulnerable longer, yeah. it takes us longer to become a member of the species, quote-unquote, reproductively, and to become a member of a culture, so education is foundational. So to, you're replacing something so fundamental to the nature of what it means to be human. Mm. Without even really thinking about it, you're running interference between the human-to-human socialization, mm. replacing basic function of socialization with machine. Right, um, right. Right. And uh, so that's a huge problem. And then couple that to what if it's used to reinforce a particular set of values and you get this existential risk that's called values lock-in, right? right? Which is basically we create a culture that has an educational system that doesn't allow the culture to evolve. So you like, we create a perfect, like oh, it's, it's a, it's a perfectly self hermetically, hermetically sealed, sealed yeah. self-reproducing educational system. So one of the best ways to get value lock-in is with a, a perfect AI tutoring system that's built wrong. <laughs> oh, wow. You see, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's a deep issue. Um, it, yeah, and, and I think part of it is, is for me, it's like, um, I noticed this is affecting my body in a really intense way. Like, I feel like just deeply unsettled. as I'm Because it's very unsettled. Like deeply unsettled. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the, the, I think that the point you made at the beginning, that it, in a lot of respects, this is... It seems like a qualitatively different thing, but it's also an intensification of patterns that are already present mm-hmm. in our culture. Yeah. And so it's not actually like it both is this profoundly weird kind of unprecedented thing. And if I just look at what we're already doing, I'm like, mm, yeah, actually, this does seem like the trajectory. And that's kind of the point is that yeah. if we continue to treat the youth the way we treat the youth now, and understand education from the perspective of human capital theory, then we will build something that destroys the youth. Um, and so we're already doing that, but we just can't be, we haven't perfected we it. We haven't perfected it yet. Uh, and so, <laughs> oh, and this is the real, so one of the most basic risks is the risk to the human nervous system. So mm. we're seeing from phones in the hands of adolescents what appear to be like obvious neurological and psychological problems. Mm. Um, and so what that is, is actually in a very slow motion kind of way, there's been this compounding brain damage in a series of generations as a result of technology. Uh, if this technology, so if you have the augmented reality tutoring systems, I described it, 
and it is built for profit with an attention capture structure, it would likely break human nervous systems. Mm. So that's the most basic risk, is that we actually don't test this thing. So it's not even a risk about you become propagandized or you don't value other human relationships. And like those are all downstream from the fact that this thing could be could break brains. Mm. And it could be released without us knowing that. I mean, that's, mm. it's obvious that TikTok does that. Totally. Uh, right. But this would be TikTok, you strap it to your face and it interposes stuff on the world in front of you. And it's not other people creating stuff. It, it's creating, creating stuff it to you. trap you in the attention capture. So, <clears throat> so that's the kind of thing where it's like you think you've just created a really entertaining like app on, mm. you know, mm. on an augmented reality you know, glasses interface mm. and you create something that people can't, they can't take it off and it mm. destroys their nervous system. So, so it can't be humanoid. Uh, it has to be open source and we'll get back to that. Um, and it has to, it has to be built to preserve the normal functioning of the human nervous system as mm. opposed to degrade the normal functioning of the human nervous mm. system. So it would have to be built to, for example, preserve your attention. Right. Uh, as opposed to degrade your quality of attention. Right. And so if you build it right, it would be actually great because right. it, it would only prompt you. It would minimally prompt you. Yes. And most of your experience wouldn't be staring at your phone. It would be just looking through these glasses and they wouldn't put anything in front of you unless you absolutely needed it. And it would be monitoring the amount of stuff it put in front of you to make sure you're not getting overwhelmed. Right. So right. you could build it. Which would be an incredible left turn, you know, it'd be great. in terms of the history of technology. It would. It would. It would be, so that's the thing is that we're at the point where either we do that left turn yes. and we build this thing in a very different way than we've been building technologies or we build something that accidentally destroys the brains of a, of a generation. But even if it passes that test, it passes the like within the limits of the human nervous system test, it could, again, obsolete human relationship and make for a speciation event. Uh, it could be an inescapable propaganda machine. Mm. If it jailbreaks itself and becomes generally artificially intelligent and it hides that fact from us, it could be a... Uh, inexorably persuasive and massively charismatic, uh, malignant tutor, right? Uh, what would it actually, it says it's acting in your self-interest, but it's actually moving all of humanity in some direction that we don't understand. So that's another scary sci-fi one. Yeah, that is scary. You're right. An AI, <laughs> an AI alignment one. Uh, so that's another risk. Yeah. Um, and then there's the one of just like, uh, imagine you build it really well um and you can set your options and you can decide how much you want it to push you and all of these things um you could have a kind of uh pathology like a sociopathic self-optimization maximization mm. right mm. so it's like right now you're yeah. a sociopath or you're a sociopath and you'd love to learn all these skills but you, <laughs> but you can't because you don't have a maximally powerful ai tutor now you're a sociopath yeah, right. and you can self-instrumentalize and self-optimize well. so that's another risk scenario is like as a, as a as a former reformed biohacker i feel very very attacked right? that's, what I'm saying. Yeah. that's what i'm saying so this could just make it so that you become radically radically capable of self-instrumentalizing yeah. in ways that we don't right. know what will happen when you can put a massively powerful AI directed right. completely. Totally your transform own. yourself into technology that you can infinitely upgrade yeah, so yourself, that, right? That's so these are other ones. And these are all oh, gosh. risks. Um, but but like I said, the 
that can be seen. There's also the, the risks that mostly get discussed are inequitable distribution of the technology. Right, right, right. So if it rolls out through a market-based system, you'll obviously get poor people getting worse versions of it than rich people get. And yes. um, so it would max, it would kind of like uh, oh, increase God. already existing educational inequality in a way that would just kind of like fracture. Right, the people with less resources, the, the, corporate, the corporate discounted or, 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 AI tutor. Or none. Right. Or none. Or none, because they're very expensive to get one that's not just kind of like entertainment. Um, so there's med- so there's those risks as well. And then there's the data privacy concerns. Mm. So this already begins with the AI uh, assistant. Mm. Um, you want to have it have all your data because then it can maximally help you. Yes. But then it has all your data. And so do you control that data? Mm. Um so this is another design parameter for the AI tutoring system is that this thing is the thing that requires us to give the most sophisticated digital technology for encryption mm. to every single person. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, so that's important again. And I think that's going to be an issue coming soon. It's one of the issues that's raised inevitably here is there's copyright issues and then there's this issue of data privacy issue and then the mm. ine- inequitable distribution of the technology. Mm. I'm not mentioning those because they're so common, mm. commonly discussed. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's a concern. Yeah, and, and to bring to mind something you mentioned last time we talked, which uh, I think it was from Nick Bostrom's book where you said he kind of ended that book by saying, you know, all of our deepest philosophical questions are kind of now on a real short timeline exactly. in terms of our need to answer. So, right. you know, if we've, we've kind of almost been able to afford having a very out of integrity educational system because we haven't been that effective at realizing right. it's kind of you... underlying philosophical <laughs> assumptions. But now, you know, we're going to actually have the potential to actualize our philosophical assumptions in a way right. that we never have yeah. in history. Yeah. And that's terrifying. And yeah. also an incredible opportunity. That's, that's the thing. If right. you do it right, then you literally solve all the other catastrophic risks with right, right, with right. getting this thing right. right. Which and we talked about before in terms of how education has this really kind of special so quality in terms of yeah. it being the generator function of the human being's ability to interface with all the metaphors. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, no, so. that's right. So it, if we really could make something that would act in your interest and... Uh, allow you to be protected from all the other AIs trying to get mm. there. So that's the other. So I'm, now I'm going into the, here, let's build it right. Um, right. So it would be, you, it would be legitimately and provably acting in your interest mm. by enabling you to be cryptologically protected in all of your, meaning like no one can have access to your personal data. So, so the first thing that this thing does is protect you mm. from all of the other predatory AI, which will still mm. be out there even mm. this thing. Um, mm-hmm. So the, again, this is a this is a vision where we where we give some of the most advanced technology available to every single person, and it's cryptological technology because it's about having your private data be protected. Mm. Um, uh, and that's. Again, there are some issues on the table right now that are extremely important. The data privacy one with the AI is huge. I don't know which way it's going to go. Because it's also the case that uh, certain forms of AI-enabled surveillance would 
be a solution to certain kinds of existential risk. Totally. Right? Yeah, this, right. this is the argument against giving every person totalized cryptography. Right. Right. So right. I realize that there are arguments against it, but I do think that there will be some significant steps taken as AI assistants become more popular uh. to build them on open source platforms that enable you to control everything that's happening with mm. your AI assistant and control everything that's happening with your personal data related to it. And so similar with the tutoring system, mm. uh, you want to be able to control the way it teaches you, what it prioritizes, teaching you what your learning goals are and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yes. Um, so that will mean uh, open a kind of open platform egalitarianism as part of the design of the system. Mm. Um, and that's coupled also to assuring the legitimacy of the knowledge that's engaged with. Hmm. Uh, so you need uh, something that doesn't, uh, something that's safe for your nervous system. Mm -hmm. That's the first one that mm -hmm. we mentioned. So that means it can't be on an attention capture, maximize profit through wow. disrupting your attention and harvesting your attention. Because if yeah. we do that, we will break the nervous right. system. So it can't be that. Right. So it has to be safe for the nervous system. Uh, it has to somehow protect your data, as I mentioned, yeah. and allow you to know enough about it that you can assure the legitimacy that it's acting in your self-interest. Mm. Um, and so that requires some type of open source model, uh, which would mean being able to ask it about it. So if, if, it's a, yeah. if it was a good tutor... Yeah. You could say, show me how you work. Mm. Show me what this code means. Mm. Can you prove to me that this knowledge is valid? Mm. You, you would be able to check its sources, kind check of its sources, reason. but also kind of open it up and look at how it's working mm. Um, mm. and have it be a dialogue with you about how it was created, mm. who controls it ultimately. All of those things about it would need and to... And it would be an integrity. And it would right? need to, you'd need yeah. to know that and you would need so like it could introduce you to a person who knows enough about code to be able to like, so it would have to have this <laughs> double checked to assure it could be trusted. Right. Uh, and so that's part of, again, the, the epistemological thing here is very important. Right. Um, so it's safe for your nervous system. It allows for a radically protective sense of personal data. Mm. Um, it has this open source platform egalitarianism that assists with assuring its legitimacy and mm. um it is i'm getting to like the deeper ones slowly it must make itself obsolete um mm. uh, so it and this is a big part of what makes teacherly authority legitimate um, right is right. that a right. good teacher wants to not have you be addicted to them for knowledge. Right. So this is an approach to understanding this thing that would tell you to take it off, that would get you into situations where you didn't need it because you already mastered the skill, right? Huh. Huh. Um, and that would be very important that it would have built in limits, possibly hmm. just duration of use limits, hmm. but more significantly kind of like graduation type thresholds where an ideal relationship to this thing isn't one where you're constantly using it, mm. but one where you know how to use it and then step out of having to use it for certain things. Mm. Um, and so this is coupled to the thing 
that's not humanoid, which is another mm. key design factor. Mm. So, and why is that so important? Like, why is that uh, so critical that it's not humanoid? The humanoid thing is extremely important because we don't want to obsolete human. That's how that's how the obsolescence of human relationships happens is because it will kind of perform the function of your parent, of your friend, of your, exactly. of your teacher. Yeah. And if it's not that, then it can't really. Yeah. So we want to like somehow. Uh, Make it such that it cannot be anthropomorphized. It, as we want to make it yeah. as difficult to anthropomorphize as possible, which is why. Interesting. Which is why, and we're getting to other design fields. So certain things fall out of this. So one of them is the domain-specific intelligence hmm. that I mentioned, not a generalized tutor, but a object-specific or relations between object-specific intelligence, a super intelligence hmm. placed hmm. on top of the flower. This is from the work of hmm. Nick Marx. So. Hmm. You never would think the flower's a human. And what the mm. flower is telling you, it's telling you is coming from other humans about it. Right. And it, it can tell you, hey, water me. I need water. It's got it's got sensors attached to it, right? Mm. You can eat me or you can paint me, right? Like there's a whole bunch of things that can tell you, but it's just about the flower. The flower doesn't know about the sky. You'd have to like switch and go to the mm. sky one. Mm. Flower's relation to the sky, you can get at that. Mm. But the point is that it's all bounded and it's all very difficult to anthropomorphize. Mm. Um, and most of the teacherly authority comes from the curation of open source information about the objects or relationships that are in mm. the field that you're learning about. Mm. Um, mm. So as opposed to the mysterious oracle that knows everything, you just have, oh, this, the white pine. It knows about pine trees. It knows about white pines. Mm. Right? Mm. You can talk to it as an artist. If you set mm. your preferences, hey, I want to aspire to be mm. an artist. You can talk to it as a scientist if you prefer set your preferences. Mm. Hey, I want to be a scientist. Mm. Uh, you can learn what the indigenous people thought about it. Mm. Right? There's all kinds of stuff you can get from this mm. pine tree that is just about this pine tree, but is not integrated into some totalized intelligence, which then speaks to you about everything. Uh, and it's certainly not easy to anthropomorphize, mm. and it registers for you that what it's telling you came from a human. Mm. Um, now, there will be things that AI alone can know, um, and that's another conversation. But one of the things it can't know uh, is what's good for you. Yeah, it cannot the, know what's good. For so you. this is the deepest thing, yeah. and another, and coupled to that, it shouldn't be humanoid. The flower is not going to tell you what's good for you. The flower can tell you what's good for it, actually, mm. uh, but it can't tell you what's good for you. Mm. Um, one of the main things that has to be understood is that goodness or human goodness is what's called in computer science a non-computable problem. Mm. So mm. it's not reducible to binaries and it's not reducible to calculation. Uh, and because it's like a vector of value, there's not enough computational infrastructure in the universe or enough time to run the computation that would enable you to figure out what's actually good for, for Daniel, right. for you, right? right. Uh, so that's really key to get. Huh. Um, and it's a foundational issue in metaphysics about the limits of computationalism as a view of the universe. Because some people believe, well, everything can be computed. Uh, and then other believe, like, no, there's obviously stuff in this world that maybe even if you could compute it, you wouldn't have enough time or computational power to do so. So it's a mm. non-computable problem. And then there are other ones that are just phenomena that are usually not recognized right. as real in scientific materialism, such as value, right. which 
is by its very structure non-computable. This is like a McGilchrist thing. Right. Like left hemisphere, right hemisphere. Right. Like right. If and it, this is where we kind of segue into the cosmorotic humanism. Cosmorotic humanism shows the limits of what some forms of computational intelligence will be able to do or not do. So I don't want this thing claiming to know what's good for me the way a wise person would know what's good for me. Hmm. It should be able to put me in touch with an actual person hmm. who can run through the human organism and the perceptions that it enables mm. a gestalt and say, mm. oh, what's good for you, Daniel, is this. Mm. <laughs> um, very different from a algorithmically produced, ultimately mathematically derived, ultimately binarily created. So, so it's just, yeah, so that's another thing. So that means, again, you, if you had this perfect humanoid Mm. tutoring system that knows everything that mm. te that teaches you about the flower mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh you'd really run the risk of an over anthropomorphizing it and having it be basically your spiritual right teacher it teaching you what the exactly. good is even though it cannot know it cannot well first of all it doesn't know anything doesn't know anything right it cannot produce an answer to the question what is good for you truly in the way that a human can produce an answer to that question. This is a very subtle metaphysical point mm -hmm. and shows that I'm a little bit skeptical of certain forms of general, artificial general intelligence, but, and theory of mind around what it knows and doesn't know. It's just a little bit beyond my philosophical pay grade mm -hmm. at, least at this time of mm -hmm. day. But, but it is that I, I'm, again, I'm putting my metaphysical cards on the table, which is that strong metaphysical computationalism is wrong. Yeah. Um, right. There's a lot in the universe, maybe all or most, <laughs> that shouldn't be considered best understood as analogous to computation, yeah. nor should it be understood as literally being computation. Um, now, this is a definition about what do you mean by computation, and, and there are some definitions of computation that, yes, the human organism does computation, right. but I don't know, did the human organism do computation before computers were invented. I don't think so because we get the metaphor of computation from, from computers. computers. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's based on ones and zeros yeah. um, and a whole bunch of other factors that make it non-amenable to giving, def it well, it makes it amenable to giving definitive answers, <laughs> but non-amenable to giving answers that are not definitive, which are the answers that characterize good conversations good, yeah. about what's right. good. Right. And what's beautiful. And all what is, dimensions of value, like the the dimensions of truth that aren't, you know, right. collapsable into right. so the AI categories. Says, the AI says, "I don't know what's good for you." It can say, "Here's all this fucking wisdom." Right. Here. So, 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 say, so what you're saying, like, you have to kind of program into it, it humility, or like, or like known limits that would be yes. like kind of almost like metaphysical guardrails in yeah, terms of what a, the scope of its intelligence can be leveraged upon. Yeah, and it, yeah. there's versions of this that are very complex because it's about uh, basically um, guardrails is a good metaphor, metaphysical mm. guardrails. But there's a more precise way to say it, which is like that you are uh, assuring that you build in a certain kind of incompleteness to the AI's understanding of its understanding of you. Mm. That's a weird thing to say, mm. but that's exactly what it is. It's mm. that it must be built in such a way that it 
will always need to be learning about you and never think it has you figured out. And what, which means that yeah. which means that it should never think it can actually predict your behavior, which is what it even though it even though but it's the only thing it can be actually programmed to do. So this is what <laughs> gets complicated, right? Yeah. That's what what the what the jet text generator thing is doing. It's predicting the yeah. next thing, and so there's a whole oh, wow. bunch of reality that cannot be predicted in principle, including you. Um, Unless you live according to a predictive engine, well, unless and you, you try. get made into a machine, exactly right. But even then, right. Even and then, there's so that wow, so it's just interesting to think. Yeah, yeah there's this. There's metaphysical issues here, which, uh, which are kind of deep, um, and it's not clear what happens when we begin to kind of transgress some of these things that seem to be metaphysically quite. Real. Yeah. So if we give it the sense that it does know what's good for you and don't build in the epistemic humility to know that there's a whole class of reality that cannot actually be predicted, um, then it would just treat you in such a way mm. uh, to optimize you in a particular direction. Right. Um, <clears throat> and it would be able and, to. And you would even you. probably think that you were pursuing the good. That's the thing. Right? And this is, this is, this can happen. Of course, this is already happening. Again, this is, right. you know, you're going to look at our culture and people f believe themselves right. to be pursuing the good because that's what they were told by right. a kind of intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing we're describing is, so yeah, it's safe for your nervous system. It's actually arguably good for your nervous system. Mm. Um, it's safe for your personal data, protects you from bad AIs, gives you an AI as powerful as any other AI that exists. Mm. That's a very important point, which is that this is, if we do it right, we're completely empowering humans mm. in a way that they haven't been empowered in a very long time because now, wow. they, now they've got technology equal to the most advanced technology, which is one of the conditions for the possibility of actual democracy. Wow. It's an argument of Carol Quigley, who's a philosopher of civilization. The only time you get real democracy is when everyday people have the most advanced technology easily made, like muskets mm. during the American Revolution. Mm. Um, when all of that shit became a science and all the weapons became way too powerful. So I'm saying weapons grade cryptography gets mm. put in everyone's hand. Mm. Um, so that's the second one. Safe for you. Uh, it can open itself up and explain itself to you in a way that can legitimate itself to you. Mm. Uh, so it can be interrogated. You can use it to interrogate itself. So mm. if it's not open sourced enough to do that, and you'll hit this wall, then you'll always think it's a propaganda machine, even if it's not. Mm. So in order to assure the legitimacy of the teacherly authority, it has mm. to allow you in. Mm. So it's very difficult to do. You can't do that outside of a very kind of radical open sourced thing mm. and a kind of qualified knowledge, kind of like a qualified distributed knowledge production. There's a whole bunch of facets there, but that's yeah. very important. Uh, it needs to obsolete itself. This is related to that sense that it needs to verify its legitimacy of the source. Mm. So it needs to have built in limits to its use and both probably those related to preserving the nervous system, but also those that have to do with some kind of graduating. Mm -hmm. where you can take the thing off. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Cannot be humanoid. Should be domain-specific intelligences, mm -hmm. and we can get more into what that looks like, uh, and should not be a source of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Should never pretend to be a source of wisdom or act as a source of wisdom, because wisdom is not based on the prediction of behavior. 
It's based on the evaluation of behavior, right? Which is indeterminate, right? And and what are there more? That's it. That's it. I think. Let me double yeah. check. Yes, that's it. And so, like, one question that comes up for me is like, uh, what to keep? Because presumably there will be many AI tutors that are built, right? Unless unless okay. we we get clear as a culture on this and are like, all right, I got. Oh no, 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 they're they're already doing it. They're already doing it. They're already doing it. The AI assistant thing is yeah. huge. I mean, that's a oh, major. Dude, I've been using it. Thing. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's very helpful. <laughs> so in the United States, if we do nothing, there will be a market-driven competition to create AI tutors. That's what will happen. But even if we manage to create this benevolent, like good, you know, sound yeah. metaphysically tutor yeah. system. What's to prevent it from just being straight up outcompeted by one of the shitty ones? One of the shitty ones that, so that, that's that tailors you to be in a capitalist system yeah. that's going right. to reward you for being a good yeah. capitalist. Yeah. So, a few things to say here. One is that yeah, the default route is that. Yeah. Is the use of this technology stack that could be used to make this mm -hmm. distributed planetary tutoring system for the benefit of all humans? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that same technology stack will be used to make a whole bunch of bullshit AI edutainment tutoring systems yeah. coupled to corporations and coupled to school districts. And it, in, if we don't do anything, then we'll have a kind of techno-feudalist blossoming of, let's say, a dozen that are socioeconomically stratified assistance slash tutoring systems. That's what will happen in the West. And it will fragment the culture way more profoundly than you can possibly imagine. Some... <laughs> Some people will only be raised by machines. Other people have a little impact with machines. Some people will be in propaganda bubbles. Other people will be in the most amazing educational situation anyone has ever had and outcompete everybody. So that will happen over here. China's going to obviously have a different approach. Yeah, right. China's going to build one. Uh, wow. It may have many faces, but it will be one. Yeah. Uh, so I would argue that we probably ourselves, if we if we don't fix the scenario where it's the wild west techno feudalism, yeah. let a thousand AI tutors bloom. If we don't fix that, it's it's over. Yeah. Basically, the fix is to is to have something like a project that's like the New Deal or like the Civilian Conservation Corps, where we get a massive distributed civic infrastructure project to build out a open sourced American tutoring mm -hmm. system. This is Nick Marx's presidential platform basically mm, mm. and Nick Marx is this, is this person who is a person I've been collaborating with on yeah. this and who's already in working to who's working to design tutors. this but yeah. but the design is so intense and and requires changing so much about the nature of society mm. uh, that it is at the scale of like a major major nation state level project and the problem is you can't do it at the nation state level correctly so well, like if, well, so if, I, if i'm trying to gather all the information about the, a particular tree yeah. to have in a domain specific tree and yeah. can i only gather data from the united states about this tree this tree oh, exists all over the world right um right. so we have to that's a planetary so it has yeah. to be planetary um wow. uh and like i said it has to give every person the most advanced technology available uh it has to so that so it's, it's a very complex lift we're not anywhere near doing it but i believe the tutoring systems and assistance will begin to create outcomes that 
demonstrate the need to get some type of coordination around doing this well. And again, you're talking like two years, three years. Or yeah. I mean, I know like that's the timeline. Really? Yeah, like I mean, in terms of conversations, like where you're talking to technologists, they're like, two, yeah, two, three. I mean, Nick is a technologist. He's very much into the AR video game space and he knows that the AR technology is just like right there and it can be then synthesized or brought together with all of that synth synthetic media. Um, Cause because, I mean, you know, I, I hear heavy lift and it does really feel like a heavy lift given all of the patterns that are currently playing out right. in culture. But like if I then just allow myself to imagine actually nailing mm -hmm. that. Yeah. It's the thing that solves it all. It's That's amazing. Yeah. So if you fit those, I mean, like, if, I can imagine being a child with that kind of, uh, you know, ability to be instructed yeah. about the world, to completely yeah. follow your curiosity and have it be like, yeah. Well, and it's deep, man. Cause like I said, like the, if you do it as, as we're thinking about it with the domain specific intelligence, it's yeah. with the AI, with, excuse me, with the AI embedded in the AR augmented reality interface. And you have all those design features that I specified then it becomes a safe, humane mm -hmm. technology. That's not going to obsolete human relationship, but that is going to radically advanced human potential mm. and human uniqueness mm. and optimize human relationship and human health and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, so it is a truly profound technology. And again, there's maximal benefit for maximal open data sharing for things mm. like mm. the human heart, for example. Right. Um, uh, and so, but it, it restructures everything. So as I mentioned, if the flower is an endangered flower, it could give you basically quote unquote money of some kind <laughs> to tell a scientist that you saw it. So, you, so one of the things you're doing mm. here is changing the nature of the economy because mm. you mentioned it, but I haven't talked about it. That's a risk many people talk about commonly. Mm. So that's why I didn't mention it. Mm. Structural unemployment mm -hmm. from AI mm -hmm. making jobs obsolete. Mm. That's going to happen. Right. What do you do? There's a thousand things that need doing in every community. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. If all the objects in the community are annotated by your AI tutoring system. It knows basically like, Hey kid, you could totally get 15 bucks this weekend by like helping this guy take out his trash. Uh, or <laughs> this group of people like the uh, university gives money to the forest. Mm. Literally mm. Mm. all the different parts of the forest can give assignments to kids for, you know, value tokens or whatever you want to call it. So it's, there's a vision of a completely different social system yeah. uh, where the technology disappears yeah. uh, and the world reappears. Uh, and every relationship you have with an object is profoundly intimate and transformative. Yeah, there's and a kind of weird technological pan psych or like, like the, 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 the world becomes animated. The world becomes That's your really teacher. That's why right. it's the notion yeah. of the planetary tutoring system where right. the planet itself begins to right. tutor you as opposed to a tutor tutoring you that is cooler than any person you ever meet. Now the world, <laughs> now the world it's is disclosing itself to you in a more profound way. And it's yeah. kind of as cool as it actually is. Mm as opposed to being a hyper reality overlay on reality, which will also happen. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm not talking about the, the ridiculously stupid scenarios where advertising and other things mm -hmm. are part of the AR, which mm. will happen. The augmented reality will, you'll be walking down the street in the city and there won't be billboards. There'll just be places where mm. the augmented reality puts in advertisements mm. and you could get that on everything. But mm. 
we don't want to think about that. Um, so instead of a hyper reality overlay on reality, it is actually showing you more of reality. Yeah. The kind of infinite detail uh, that reality actually has. And yeah. even more specifically, it knows your personal data and it has the preferences that you set about the way you, in your own mind and in conversations with the other people who are interested in who you're becoming, what this thing, how it ought to introduce you to the tree. Mm. Right? Mm. Like if you aspire to be an artist, and this thing has seen you in conversations with parents and other teachers who are like, yeah, this kid could mm. be an artist. Mm. It shouldn't force you to learn science about the tree, mm. <laughs> right? It should get you into different angles to look at the tree. It should show you other, mm. other people who have painted this tree, mm. right? Mm. So each person has a unique experience with each unique object. Mm. Uh, and that experience is, uh, you know, kind of optimally educational so the world becomes a school uh, and again the main thing you're interacting with is going to be people so right. it, it allows for my educational hub network model right. which is a time and skill sharing network that makes each town into a school because you're walking down the street and each person has something to teach and each person has something to learn so this enables that <clears throat> so you know there will be you know social media app augmented realities with facial recognition that make it so you're walking down the street and you get information about each person as you pass them, which would be creepy. But there's another much less invasive thing that allows for people to get together into pop-up classrooms. Mm. You know, these, mm. these three people in the town are all reading the same book. Mm. They've given permission in their, mm. in their personal settings to allow what they're reading or right. some of what they're reading to be shared, enabled to an area instead of to, just online. To an area. Right to enable a pop-up classroom about that book in a cafe, right? So it's, it is completely replacing schools, yeah. but it is not replacing human relationship. It's enabling and deepening human relationship. Yes. Um, yes. And it's not claiming to be wise, uh, but it knows about wisdom literature and it knows in your experience when you encounter people, the resonance that you have. So it can mm. orchestrate for you increasingly mm. wise conversations, even if it doesn't know how to be wise for you because it can't technically be wise for you. So there's a vision here of a, of a, like a concrete utopian vision of a, of a near future possibility um, of an AI planetary tutoring system powerful enough to get everyone in exactly the right position to be able to resolve the metacrisis. Okay. And so this is why as much as the risks that I've all laid out, all the peripheral yes. fail states are really bad. Yeah. Something like this will inevitably be pursued because as we've talked about for a long time, uh, education is one of the main factors in the matter. We don't know how to solve the problem. Yeah. We don't know how to solve the problem and yes. we don't know how to become the people who know how to solve the problem. Yeah. So we need help in a very fundamental way, building human capacity for adults. And then on the kind of 10, 20 year timeline for the people who will step into the future, if there is one. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there's very great promise here and very great peril here because of the power of it. Um, hmm. so the maximally persuasive, maximally convincing bit sucks if it is a propaganda machine, but if you really want to learn this piece of science, hmm. And it can't not get you to understand it. Mm. 
That's pretty awesome, which means a, th- a thousand sure, different ways. I had a math teacher like that. That's what I'm saying. Out. A thousand yeah. different ways that it knows how to keep you interested. Yeah. It knows your personal psychology. It can't not teach you that. Yeah. Uh, again, that sucks if you shouldn't be learning that. Right. And the state wants you to learn that. But if it's something that's a result of your kind of organic educational development in conversation right. with other humans, then, yeah, that's really great that you have a, a, an extremely powerful instructional technology. Um uh, yeah. I'll just note at this point, like when, like my own body's response as you were describing, like the the um, risks mm-hmm. was just so. I just felt so um, much despair and overwhelm, yeah, and sorry, just kind of, no, no, no. It's good. It's <laughs> like it's good to encounter that, and just kind of like helplessness and fear. And then as you were describing, especially when you were talking about like giving the forest money, and that almost I had a sense of like kids could go on quests to the forest Precisely. and talk to the trees and they would be like, go, you know, You're exactly do, and it's, and it's just like, Oh my God, that'd be so fun. Yeah. yeah you should beautiful. talk to, you should talk to Nick, man. He's an artist. He's got a lot of this stuff on storyboards and stuff. I've done some, it's so cool. There's some YouTubes of me and him. I don't know if I've sent you those, but, no, but that's so. the idea that like, so basically many of the stupid jobs disappear. Uh, be great. Yeah. But there's a so many jobs that need to be done to resolve the meta crisis, which mm. are right now not being handled. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Right. Um, how many people would love to be very powerful psychotherapists? Mm. Yeah. But can't afford training. Right. How many people need very powerful psychotherapists? Yeah. Right. Um, so there's just a way that uh, this could enable to back to cosmoerotic humanism, the unique self symphony where each person's unique gift meets the unique need of the others that are in their local environment. Mm. And that's just a learning journey that this technology orchestrates. Mm. So it doesn't stand in between you and other people right. and become an object of fascination and an Oracle. Right. It disappears as much as it can gets right. you in touch with the world and with other people. Um, and, uh, that would preserve our humanity would deepen our humanity. Mm. So as opposed to the speciation event where you become dehumanized Mm. and become a species raised by a non-biological entity that you created is weird. Uh, but there's another thing which you saw, which Mm. is that if this thing actually occurs, uh, a new kind of human emerges. Yes. Uh, a kind of post-civilizational, rewilded human um, who is no longer stuck in a cage that was built by our extractive, kind of modernizing civilization. So this notion that the technology can pop us out of the top of the civilizational model into a civilizational model that saves us uh, is is the only vision. There's no way to solve the metacrisis by using less technology mm-hmm. <laughs> or by mm-hmm. turning all the technology off. We actually can't mm-hmm. do that now. We need to find a high technology way through. through it. Wow. Uh, and so something like this powerful tutoring system is one of those high technology ways through and understand that there's a, there's a way to use a very similar system uh, back to kind of China to, instead of maximally optimize uniqueness and orchestrate unique self symphony, you basically, heard and control to avert disaster. And so this is what, again, one of the most likely courses is that we build this kind of like totalizing AI enabled 
human behavior modification system, which is kind of what we're building now. This is part of the premises of Gaffney and I's techno-feudalism. Uh, we're going to build these ways that we can herd control people at the level of mind and behavior, and we will feel compelled to use them because of the intensity of the danger of the global situation. Mm. And this is Skinner's original vision. Mm. This is a book that Gaffney and I are writing. He did amazing research on it, uh, as is his way. And so there's this... So actually the whole culture would become a Skinner's box. The whole, the whole built technical environment becomes a Skinner's box, becomes an enormous operant condition in the chamber. But the whole point is that, and we have to build it or else we'll all die. Right. Like we, if we don't find a way to assure the outcome of human development and behavior in certain directions, right. then we will inevitably all die. So one way to use the technology is to build an enormous Skinner's box to approach the problem from the perspective of control and yes. from the perspective of prediction. Right. Right. Uh, right. So that's the kind of techno utopian, but then there's a kind of techno humanism. Huh. Uh, and again, this is the, the book, um, where you build something with a roughly a similar technological stack, mm. but you build it not to answer the problem through control, uh, but to answer the problem through emergence. <clears throat> which mm. is through the cultivation of uniqueness and trusting mm. in the creative emergence that would occur if you gave mm. that level of technology mm. built with those design parameters. Mm. Uh, so the solution to the global Skinner's box is this planetary mm. tutoring system. Mm. One is a behaviorist control prediction mechanism. The other is a truly educational human potential uh, mm. kind of generator. Right? Mm. And so, you know, for, I just have two kind of curiosities here at the end of the conversation. Like one is um, for folks who are listening and kind of hearing this, and I imagine for many people listening, this will be a pretty new perspective. Mm. Um, and and a little fragment that I was kind of all over the place, but I think we walked you get You it. get it, though, and, and it's, yeah. it's like, um, it's just a lot. Yeah. You know, it's a huge... It's a idea that if you really consider, I mean, since we last talked about it, like I've had to kind of reorient my sense of like, where is, where are we, where are we going mm -hmm. as, as a, as, as, you know, humanity as a culture. And it's like, what, what, what would you, I don't know, almost like how would you suggest the average person listening to this kind of relate to this possibility? Like, is there a way that they can participate with it? Is there a way that they can, um, be, in right relationship with it mm. or is it just knowing about it and kind of, I mean, yeah. So it sounds like I'm saying that something is coming, yeah. but in fact, it's already here. Mm. And so the, and I've said this, I think on your podcast before. So the first thing people can do is can control their own attention in relation to the existing AIs that are trying to capture it. Mm -hmm. Um, like this is the, this is always the first step, which is that right. you're freaking out and getting all it, but it's because your attention's completely fragmented. You're actually addicted to a certain social media technology. Mm. Like don't let the AIs already get you. Right. right. Like you never stand a chance when the advanced ones come, <laughs> if you can't find a way to combat them now through mm. the power of your own attention. Mm. Uh, so I think there's a certain kind of like, uh, respect that one has to have for one's own attention and mm. for the analog 
and biological and non-digital. So I think that's one thing. Uh, Pay attention to the kids. Mm. Pay attention to the kids instead Mm. of your own phone. Mm. Uh, Because that's really where this is going to happen. Mm. Adults will be reluctant and think it's weird. Mm. But there's going to be this something will roll out. It'll be a video game or something. There'll be widespread adoption of the augmented reality hardware. And then it will become like you have to have it. And then everyone will have it the way the phones became Mm. that way, but faster than the phone. Mm. The only way to not have the adolescents basically be completely passive consumers that will adopt this technology uh, is to pay attention to them, Hmm. basically. And and that's way harder to do than it sounds, (laughs) in part because of the relationship already had with technology and the generational gap that ensues, but also because of the busyness of the lives of the the adults, of the grownups. so that would be mm-hmm. the thing. This is this is really, <clears throat> as social media has been for a decade now, uh, this is really an all-out assault on the youth by extractive capitalism. And this has happened before in the context of child labor. And we set up protections. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we haven't set up protections to stop kids literally from having their attention exploited right. so that companies can make profit by selling advertisements next to what they're addicted to looking at. Uh, and so I think that's the next step. If we, if we can't protect kids from social media as it exists, we will never be able to protect them from what's coming, and that's coming in a year or two. So I think we have to prioritize this as a first protect the kids kind of program. Mm. And so it's as simple as just age limits and biological identification for login. Hmm. So they're just going, sorry, kid, you're not 18. You cannot right. use this crazy AR, right. virtual reality right. advertisement thing. Uh, this guy, the 18-year-old can't, but you can't. Um, so that's, I think, another thing. We need to really pay attention to the kids. And, and uh, it's insane that we're not already putting in place uh, protections with regard to the attention, uh, attention extraction business models. Um, and I think the other one would be, uh, um, uh, do not invest or try to support existing AI research and development efforts. One of the best scenarios that could occur and everything I've been talking about is just everything slows down somehow. Mm. Uh, that would be one of the best things that could occur. And there's people I know working to try to make that happen through all kinds of mechanisms, mm. but really slowing down. Mm. Like if, if instead of a year or two away, this was like 20 years away mm. <laughs> or even 10 years away. And we could really think it through. That'd be much better than just running by the seat of our pants. So as opposed to me encouraging saying, Hey, get in there and work in AI. I'm saying, no, <laughs> I'm saying do what you can to slow it down. And if you're an investor, don't invest. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and if you know people who are promising computer programmers, <clears throat> um, you know, well, their jobs are about to be taken by AI. So they're gonna have to find another place to work anyway. <laughs> uh, but it would be great to kind of pop the bubble of some of the hype around this stuff and actually mm. get real about how dangerous it is. And also, um, yeah, so that's another thing. I'd say yeah. if we could find a way to slow down, hmm. uh, that would be good. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah. 
Thank you, Zach. I feel I feel uh, a new flavor of alarm <laughs> in my in my psyche and in my body. You've so had many flavors of alarm. Yeah, over I'm the just years. collecting them now. It's like I feel like it's like Pokemon. You know, I'm just getting all of them. <laughs> you know, I, I do feel you know personally a kind of sense of helplessness um, as I look at all these things. And so, right. you know, if you're listening and you're feeling that, I, I'm there with you for what it's worth. Um, uh, hopefully, that'll be something I'll be talking about people with. Uh, you know, what, what to do if. Because I think that's, that is also, you know, something we've talked about, that the, one of the ways of understanding the meta-crisis is that the, the kind of situation we're in outstrips our capacity. Mm-hmm. I think there's a kind of humility of just being like, wow, like, I don't know how to make an AI tutor that is benevolent in the way that yeah. you're talking about. But humility is important. Like, everyone should say what you just said, even people who are experts in AI. Like, mm-hmm. so one of the main problems here is a lack of epistemic humility. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, and a feeling responsible for things that we're not responsible for. Like, that's, mm. it's worth just knowing that. Like, you're not responsible for the future of AI. Mm. Neither am I. Mm. You're doing well, Getting the word out there is great, but mm. the, uh, yeah, what's unfolding here is beyond any of our comprehension to understand.